Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, before getting to the very rich readings we have for this week, I do want to say something about an event that's been in the news recently, and that's the discovery of the so-called Tomb of Jesus. I'm sure you've been hearing about it on CNN and Larry King and the news and so on. James Cameron, the fellow who made the movie Titanic, is sponsoring this documentary all about the discovery of what some people are saying is the tomb of Jesus and his family. Well, let me say this. James Cameron did a very good movie about a leaky boat, and this is an even leakier boat he's on this time. They discovered, actually it happened back in 1980, a tomb, a family tomb, in the southern part of present-day Jerusalem. And they found within this tomb these ossuaries, or boxes that carry the uh, remains of the bones of people. And on some of these ossuaries are scratched in a kind of graffiti manner the names of certain people, including Yeshua, Jesus, Yosef, Joseph, and a couple with Miriam, or Miriamne. There's also, I think, a Matthias, Matthew, Well, the claim is being made that this is the burial ground of Jesus, son of Joseph, married to Mary Magdalene, and there's also the tomb of a Judah, the son of Jesus. Well, let me just say this. These names, Yeshua, Yosef, Miriam, Judah, are among the commonest in the Palestine of Jesus' time. There were lots of people that had these names. More to it, there's nothing on any of these ossuaries that would designate precisely who these people are. For example, Yeshua from Nazareth, that would narrow it down quite a bit, wouldn't it? Or even that one of the Marys might be called from Magdala, Mary Magdalene. There's no indication of any of that. What you have is a grave, probably a family grave, with lots of people who had extremely common names in the Palestine of that time. This is Jesus' tomb? That's about as likely as, let's say, in 2,000 years, an archaeologist rummaging around Washington finds a grave marked with the name Kennedy and says, clearly, it's the tomb of John F. Kennedy. Well, come on. It's a very common name. Lots of people have it. This is a very bad uh, bit of so-called scholarship. Keep in mind, too, that Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth. Nazareth was a four-day walk from Jerusalem in Jesus' time. Joseph, a poor carpenter, dies in Nazareth, and then they walk with the body four days to bury him in a very fancy tomb in Jerusalem that someone like Joseph would never have been able to afford. You know, it strikes me too. Last year, with the whole Da Vinci Code business, they were telling us that Jesus married Mary Magdalene, that they had a daughter named Sarah, and that Mary and Sarah went to France and became the source of the French royal family. 
Okay, that was a wild story. Evidence, zero. Now we're led to believe, based on this tomb, that Jesus married Mary Magdalene. Now they had a son, he's called Judah, and they all died in Jerusalem. Next year, they'll have triplets who went to Damascus. I mean, my point is, these are all just wild, speculative fantasies. But, can I say this? They have something of a nefarious purpose. How come it's always open season on Christianity? That's what I want to know. Especially now, at one of the holiest times of our year, as we begin the Lenten season, preparing for Easter. It just happens to come out now, after what, 27 years? that there's this refutation of the resurrection. What if you were to suggest at the beginning of Ramadan that Islam is just a pack of myths and lies? How many news agencies would broadcast that little bit of information, do you think? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that for a second. I'm just saying I'm wondering why it always seems to be open season on Christianity. So please, if anyone's concerned about it, don't be. It's based on nothing. It poses zero threat to our faith. Just let it kind of wash over you now a little bit as you'll hear a lot about it in the news. Okay, let's turn now from that silliness to the seriousness of these great readings for this week. It's, of course, the second Sunday of Lent. And we hear from the book of Genesis all about Abraham. Abraham is, of course, one of the greatest figures in the Bible. He's called the father in faith. He is the founder of the people through whom God would save the world. Here's how the Bible tells the story. God made this beautiful world, this garden, and what he wanted for his people was life and life to the full. What happened? Sin intervened, sin interrupted. What God intended didn't take place. Now the world's become a venue for violence, hatred, division. So what does God do? Leave us in our misery? No. He decides to launch a rescue operation. And it takes the form of the formation of a people. I will form a people, says the Lord, who will embody what I want for the whole world. I will form a priestly people, a holy nation, a people set apart. Their purpose, not to revel in their distinctiveness. Their purpose now is to be a beacon, a light, a magnet for the rest of the world. Well, it begins with the call of Abraham. It says here, Abraham put his faith in the Lord who credited to him as an act of righteousness. There's the seed. There's the beginning. What's sin? Sin could be defined as a lack of faith. Adam and Eve grasp at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They claim for themselves the prerogatives of God. They won't trust they will grasp and seize. That, fellow sinners, is the essence of all sin. I make myself the center of the universe. I make myself into God. So how does God begin the formation of this new people? He calls someone who is rich in faith. 
What does faith mean here, Abraham's faith? Don't think of it so much as accepting certain propositions. That's a modality of faith. That comes later. But faith here is something much more elemental. It means the reversal of Adam and Eve. They grasped. Abraham believes. They seized control. Abraham lets God rule. Faith here means trust. Trust in the Lord. Turning your life over to God. What happens through sin? They are expelled from the garden. That's a symbol, friends, for the death that comes from sin. When we turn away from God, we turn away from the source of life, the source of fertility, and we're expelled into a land of emptiness, barrenness. But look now what God promises to Abraham. The Lord God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. Just so shall your descendants be. Oh, especially for ancient peoples, still true for us, but especially for them, descendants was a sign of life and success. That your name would go on. You would bear many children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren who would revere you and remember your name. So God is saying, look at the stars in the sky. As numerous as those stars will your descendants be. That means life and life to the full. More to it. He says, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans. I will give you this land as a possession. Land. Especially for ancient peoples. It meant food. It meant home. It meant stability. Land was also a symbol of life and life to the full. What we lost through sin being expelled from the garden, is now going to be restored to us, how? Through the faith of Abraham. Because he's the father in faith. He will be the fountainhead of this people through whom God will teach the world again how to be holy. Then we hear this. God says to Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things, split them in two, and placed them opposite each other. He's performing a sacrifice, which marks a covenant. In the ancient world, covenant, an agreement, a sacred oath, was accompanied by a sacrifice. The splitting of the animals meant, may this happen to you and to me if we violate this covenant. They talked in the ancient world about cutting a covenant. That's what they meant. So here now, Abraham, expressing his faith, his trust, is drawn into a covenant with God, an agreement. And this will mark up and down the ages the holy people. They will perform sacrifices, reaffirming the covenant. Now, friends, can we flash forward many centuries to a son of Abraham, 
to a member of this holy people, Israel. Yeshua, yes, Yeshua of Nazareth. A man of faith, yes, as the letter to the Hebrews puts it. Utterly surrendered to God, to God's purposes. So much so that his whole identity is filled up with his mission. And the night before he dies, this Yeshua, this Jesus of Nazareth, takes a cup. He gives it to his disciples and he says, This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. What began with Abraham, this man of faith who cuts a covenant with the Lord, who establishes thereby friendship with God, what begins with him reaches its culminating point in Jesus, this new and everlasting covenant. You see, in Jesus the link between divinity and humanity is absolutely realized. And now what do we get from it? Life and life to the full. What was promised to Abraham, descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky, this land is now fulfilled in Jesus. Look at his body, the church, by the way up and down the ages all over the world these numerous descendants of Abraham look at the land I don't mean so much the land in Palestine I mean the land of the church the church is the place the body of Christ where we find life and life to the full friends reflect upon these readings for today they in some way tell the whole story of salvation beginning with Abraham and his faith culminating in Jesus the one who cuts this new and everlasting covenant. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.